This morning, we are starting a a series in uh, the book of Philippians, a series that we're calling How to Be Happy. Uh, The book of Philippians is a a book that really beautifully surfaces the principles and practices um, of happiness. And uh, we're going to spend some time looking at this um, book together. Uh, It's just this beautiful invitation to more deeply experience and express happiness. And uh, now, let me just say out the gates that if um, that's not your thing, like if there's no interest in your life to experience a little more happiness and to experience a little more joy, you are going to hate the book of Philippians. And uh, you're going to hate Christianity in general. Um, But uh, man, if you happen to be human, on the other hand, and uh, man, joy and happiness is something that you desire and that you long for. And by the way, that is just who we are as human beings. Everything we do is driven by our desire to be happy and to experience a little more happiness. It's why you are here. It's why you are wearing what you're wearing. It's why you long to be married. It's why you married the person that you married. It's why you don't like the person that you're married to at times because they're not making you happy. Happiness is a thing. Um, And I love the fact that the Bible doesn't argue with us about happiness or the desire to be happy. It just points us in the right um, direction. And so we're going to start um, a journey in the book of uh, Philippians. Let me say this too, and you're going to hear us talk about this a number of times over the course of the series, but we are not going to work hard slash at all uh, to try and labor to distinguish between happiness and joy. Because the Bible doesn't labor to distinguish between happiness and joy. It is the same thing. Um, We are speaking, in fact, we'll put this up on the screen. We're just speaking about this, an inner sense of gladness. Um, an an inner sense of delight. That's what we're talking about when we speak about happiness. And I bring that up, maybe because I have a little chip on my shoulder, because I grew up in the church, and as I was growing up in the church, there was just this labor that was done to distinguish between happiness and joy. And and, and almost like, you know, like happiness is is like the, you know, like high fructose, fructose, like hydrogenated, you know, the unhealthy version. And then there's joy. Joy is grass-fed and free-range organic, you know, like that's the good stuff. And then happiness is the cheap stuff. And the Bible doesn't make that particular distinction. And um, neither will we. But we're looking forward to it, and I trust that whoever you are in whatever season uh, you are walking through, you will find that the Bible tells you, regardless of the season you're in, or the, the season you've come out of, or the season you're about to go into, that happiness is on the table, and it is for the taking. But as we'll see, it takes practice. It takes practice. So, again, Man, if you long for a little more happiness, you are going to love the book of Philippians. If happiness is not your thing, um, this series is still for you because it is the thing of everybody else in your life. So at least it benefits you to know what everyone else is is into. Uh, But most of all, um, Jesus... um, you know, let me, let me read something that Jesus says. John chapter 15, verse 
11. It says, I have told this to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I love that. Beyond the human longing for deeper happiness is the longing of our Savior for us to not just have a little more happiness, but for complete happiness. Now, we will see this in the series as well. This doesn't mean we will not walk painful paths. This doesn't mean that we won't experience the sting of living in a broken world. But what we will see is that even in those times and seasons, joy and happiness is still possible. And the book of Philippians helps us to learn what it looks like to practice happiness in that direction. Um, All right, Uh, you can feel free to turn to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we are going to start at the beginning. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen for you to follow um, along that way. But before we do, I just want to give you some quick um, facts about the book of Philippians. We're going to learn a a lot more about some of the background and and context, but I just want to give you some fast facts about the book of Philippians. Um, The book of Philippians is actually a letter. Uh, The book of Philippians is a letter written by the apostle Paul. Um, Paul is one of the key forefathers of the first century Church, And he's writing this letter in about the 61 AD to a group of some of his dearest, dearest friends who belongs to a small church um, in the Roman-run city of Philippi, which is in in modern-day Greece. Um, Backtrack a little bit, in about 50 or so AD, Paul went to this Roman district, the Roman district of Macedonia, and he helped to plant this little church in the city of Philippi. And um, again, we're going to learn the dramatic events as the series goes on of how this church was planted. It's just fascinating Um, And you can read ahead on that in Acts chapter 16. But 12 years after he launches this church, he he gets into a bit of a situation. Now, uh, at this point, 12 years in, Paul is just great friends with the Philippian uh, believers. He's visited them on a number of occasions, and he just deeply, deeply loves uh, this church. And um, they find out... Uh, 12 years after the church launches, that the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He is incarcerated in a rental facility, and he is chained, and he is not going anywhere anytime soon. And so their response to this is that they send Paul a gift. They don't just send Paul a gift. They send Paul a guy named Epaphroditus to serve him while he was imprisoned um, in that rented home. Paul is blown away. I loved you all already, but this is overboard. So when it was time for Epaphroditus to go back to Philippi, Paul takes the opportunity to write them this thank you note and just tell them how much he loves them. And in the midst of that, encourage them in the direction of happiness, in the direction of joy. And so we have the letter to the Philippians. And uh, we're going to get right into this um, beautiful letter and see what we can learn from Paul about how to be happy. And I'm just telling you, uh, the start of this 
book is, is a little bit odd, um, a little bit strange, but again, strange is a small price to pay for a little happiness. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the leadership, with the overseers and the deacons. Um, let me stop there for a quick second and say, as you can see, it's a little bit different than it is in our culture. Back then, uh, you would write a letter, um, much like you would make an old school rotary phone call. Anybody ever make a rotary phone call in here? Yes. You should look around and see how many people are like, a what? Um, men Google rotary phones. They were all the business. Um, but back in the day, that's how we made phone calls on a rotary phone. And it had this dial with numbers and you'd put your finger in one of those numbers and then you would spin that sucker and then you would register the number and then you'd get the next number and you'd spin that sucker and you'd register that number until you got through all the numbers in whoever's phone number you were trying to call. And Lord forbid you had to make an international call that would take like half an hour just to dial all of those numbers. And if you made the wrong number and the last... It was this whole thing, but it taught us so much discipline and patience and things of that sort. Um, and th- these rotary phones um, did not have any kind of like a, you know, like a cheating screen. There was no preview screen, so you couldn't see the number as you were dialing it, which means if you dialed the wrong one, you couldn't be like, oh, let me just delete that number and redial it. No, 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 you had to start again. But most challenging of all, I'm just admitting my own paganry, um, was the fact that when someone called you, you had no earthly idea who it was until you picked up the phone. Can you imagine living back in those ages? So it could be your best friend or it could be your aunt who's about to talk for three and a half hours nonstop. You didn't know. It was this glorious, glorious surprise. Um, I loved that quite a lot. But so making a rotary phone call was really interesting. You couldn't see much. You didn't know much. So I would have to give a little bit of context. So if I'd call my friend's house, I would dial the number. And then 25 minutes later, they would pick up the phone and I would say, hello, hello. Hey, this is Kondo Simfukwe from down the road. I'm calling to see if Timmy is home and would like to come and uh, play outside, because back then we also played outside. We did stuff like that. <laughs> but if um, he wants to come and uh, play outside at my house, and um, yes, okay, awesome, thank you, bye-bye. And that's what the phone call would go like. And, and interestingly, that's kind of how letter writing was in this context. Uh, they didn't have um, writer's ID. Um, so when Paul wanted to write a letter, he had to rotary write the letter. And that's why you will notice he starts by explaining some things that seem obvious. Hey, it's Paul. Um, I'm here with Timothy, my spiritual protege. He's here too. Uh, we are calling from down the street in this prison situation in Rome, looking for the Philippians. 
to talk a little bit about joy. You all around? What's up? And that's how the letter starts. But more than that, even in the introduction of this letter, I think Paul starts to teach us principles um, of happiness. I think this is pretty fascinating if you ask me. And um, the first thing that emerges even in this greeting, um, teaching us how to be happy, is what I would say it's, it's the, the practice of checking your lens. Um, check your lens. That's what I get when I read these verses. I don't know what you get. Again, but I have the microphone. So uh, this is a theme that we are going to see over and over, but Paul wastes no time introducing us to it in these first couple of words. I don't know if you noticed the way Paul introduced himself, the way Paul identified himself in this rotary letter that he sent to the Philippians. He says... It's Paul, servant of Christ Jesus. I have so much to learn from Paul. Because this, believe it or not, is not just some Christianese platitude to fill the space and to sound super spiritual. No, when Paul thinks about himself, he thinks about himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. That is huge. That is powerful. Before anything else, Paul views himself in connection to Jesus. Jesus is the primary lens through which Paul identifies himself. That is so significant, and I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, do something in us in these weeks that would change our lenses so that the primary way we identify ourselves is in our connection to Jesus Christ. It is amazing how much we as a church suffer from an identity crisis. In fact... I would say, if we could live one day through each other's lenses, if we could borrow each other's primary lenses of identity for one day, we would weep for each other. We would weep for each other. This is what you see? The primary lens through which you look at yourself is uh, as a dad just trying to not mess up like your dad messed up. That's the lens through which you look at yourself. We would weep for each other. Well, you, you view yourself as a, a physical body looking to gain some attention from someone else. Really, so when you look at yourself, you really look at yourself as an addict who's just trying not to be a mess for the rest of her life. That's the lens through which you look at yourself. You look at yourself as an athlete? Yep. First and foremost, I view myself as an athlete who's simply trying to 
make it. I'm telling you, we would weep for each other if we could get a glimpse of how we view ourselves, the primary lenses through which we identify our selves. And this is huge because the primary lens through which we identify ourselves tends to determine what brings us the greatest happiness. My greatest happiness is going to be tied to the primary lens through which I view myself. And if I view myself primarily primarily through any lens other than the unchanging person of Jesus Christ, it's constantly going to be changing. And we're going to see that in the course of this book. You're not just a dad trying not to mess up You know, like your dad messed up, check your lens. You're the son of a father who has loved you perfectly. That's the primary lens. Come on, you're not just an addict trying to figure the things out. (laughs) You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's your primary identity. You are not an athlete, not first and foremost, because long before you did anything athletic, you were a trophy displayed in the case of the living God. Before you did anything, you're not primarily a mom, believe it or not. If anything else, you're like a spokeswoman for Jesus Christ with some things to say to bring life to the world around you. There is something powerful about taking steps in the direction of happiness that's tied to the primary lens through which I view myself. And I'm just asking you, check your lens. What is the primary way you identify yourself? And sometimes that's hard. We don't think about it. Until we lose it, or until it's threatened, or until somebody didn't pay attention to us that way, until somebody walked out, and I don't know who I am anymore because everything about my happiness was tied to my relationship status. And Paul would say, check that lens. Verse 2, Paul is still just greeting them, and he says, grace and peace to all y'all. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, customarily, in writing a letter, you would speak a blessing over the person to whom you were writing, which is what Paul does um, to the Philippian church, except when Paul does it, it is so much more than a customary practice. He pronounces grace and peace over his friends in Philippi. That is so awesome. You know, grace. Grace is, is, is the favor um, of, of the living God that, that doesn't care what you did or didn't do. It's coming after you anyway. Grace. <laughs> grace. This is, it's the gifts from God that have no pre-qualifying conditions. This is the word Paul is using. May God give y'all every good thing that you don't deserve. I, I need friends like this, and I need to be this kind of friend as well. And he says, peace, peace is that 
defiant assurance from heaven that it's all going to be okay. Yeah, life is crushing right now, but somehow heaven has made a rotary phone call to my soul and let me in on the fact that it's going to be okay. I've lost some things and I'm walking through some painful seasons and yet there is this defiant resiliency in me that says and just knows it is going to be okay. And Paul is saying, may you all experience more of God's grace and may you all experience more of God's peace in your lives. What a way to start a letter, by the way. And I tend to just read by these words like grace and peace. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Now, this is the good stuff. And I think another happiness principle emerges. And this is one that I would just refer to as wish them well. Wish them well. Because here's the thing. When my wish for you hooks up with God's promises for you. And they are spoken in words over you. Uh-oh. It becomes a heavenly pronouncement in your life. When Paul says grace and peace over all of y'all, he is fully expecting that as his words join God's promises spoken over these people, that they will become a reality in their world. There is power in words agreeing with God spoken over the people in our world. It is like putting a heavenly hit out on you. I'm telling you, this is like praying mafia of heaven. Get her! That one right over there. Hit her with peace. And get her with some joy. Because my wish for her is agreeing with your promises over her. Spoken in words over her life. Get her good. This is what Paul is doing. This is powerful. This will shift things in the church. I'm telling y'all, when we buy into this and we start doing, I'm going to wish you well. You watch out now. This is a powerful thing. There is power in this pronouncement. There is power in this practice. In fact, let's practice it right now. Come on, touch somebody next to you and say the following to them. You ready? May heaven get you so good with peace this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now tell the person who seemed like no one told them yet, who doesn't seem like they're into it. Yeah. Tell them, may heaven get you so good with peace this week. And I'm just telling y'all, if peace starts to stalk you a little bit, remember this moment when someone put a holy hit out on your life. There is something powerful about an experiment 
and an expression like this. Come on, are you making these kinds of pronouncements, telling people in your world what you wish for heaven to unleash on them? This is awesome. I'm telling, can you imagine? Like spouses just start doing this to each other. Like favor, favor on you and all your boring meetings today. Just favor. Favor, husband, like, you know, and the wife's like, all right, enough favor already. But can you imagine if this is what our kids woke up to and walked into? It's just words spoken over them. Oh, may, the, may, may you know the love of Jesus in your soul today with all those mean kids at school. May that speak volumes above all the volumes and the noise that's happening at school. There is something powerful in this practice, and I wonder what it would look like for us to start to speak these things and make these pronouncements over each other. And this is how Paul starts a letter to the Philippians. This is pretty awesome if you ask me. Matter of fact, healing in some of your bodies that the Lord would do it this week and, and that we would speak those kinds of things over each other's lives and expect heaven is going to start stalking you a little bit. Just as Paul would have expected. I'm just saying, if you're praying for me, tell me. If you wish God's best for me, speak those words over me. And I want to speak those words over you. But then Paul doesn't stop there with his, his words. Verse 3, he says, oh, by the way, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And this continues the theme we've already been addressing, and I would just add to it the idea of let them know. Let them know. Um, let them know. I think it's really interesting what we learn from Paul. And here's what it is. If you feel affection or appreciation for somebody, come on, say it out loud. Let them know. Let them know. Now, let me make a confession. I always, oh man, I mean, it's, just, it's not just Paul, it's Jesus. I've always viewed Paul as this really like crabby, um, like mean dude with no personality. And you know what's weird is I've historically viewed Jesus that way. Like, come on, do you view Jesus as laughing a lot? I don't. I don't typically view Jesus as just really happy and is really laughing. Sometimes I view Jesus as those people in my church growing up who, who, who said, no, 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 no. Joy and happiness are very different. Joy is this deep state of mind and happiness is a feeling. I'm like, that explains why you always look super crabby. While you sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy <laughs> down in my heart. Where? Deep, deep. 
deep down in my heart where no one ever sees it, you know. And I think I, I look at Paul sometimes, and I'm like, you just strike me as like a, you know, kind of a crabby saint without tenderness or affection in your body. But then I read Philippians. And I'm telling you, Paul will almost make us a little uncomfortable in this letter. And I discovered not only is Paul a man with deep affection and appreciation for the people in his life, he is super out there. He is super loud with it. If he cared about you, he will let you know. If Paul loved you, he would let you know. If Paul missed you, he would let you know. He told you. Paul loved the Philippian dudes and the Philippian girls, and he said it to them on a regular basis. Verse 3, I thank God for you, and I want you to know that. Verse 4, you bring me so much joy, y'all, and I want you to know that. What? What did you do with Paul? Now, if you're anything like me, this is not your jam. In fact, can we just skip over this and get to the meat of the passage? Um, and our culture doesn't help. Uh, to speak and to be expressive of tenderness or affection, and I know it's not exclusive to guys, but especially as a man, that is a great way to get your man card stripped from you. Now you're too mushy, and you're too emotional, and you are too whatever else it is. It's really, really fascinating. You start to speak, and you start to let people know how you feel about them, and you are soft, which interestingly enough is not a compliment, except for in the Bible, where being soft is always a compliment. But this is so interesting what Paul does here, and I'm thankful that he pushes us and he gives us permission to express affection. He was a man who refused to leave affection unexpressed. I don't know if you knew that this was a biblical principle, and we're going to see it more and more in the course of this letter. And I love that God's so fitting to let that stay in his Bible. Me, I am more than happy to pronounce God's favor on your life. I am more than happy to preach what God feels about you. Where I struggle is to tell you how I feel and to talk about what I feel about you and my appreciation and my affection. Just saying. I didn't grow up in a home that was, you know, big on affection expressed. 
And so it doesn't come easily to me, which I'd love to use as an excuse. But as a result, there are people in my life who I care about who don't know. They would be surprised by the degree to which I feel affection for and appreciation for them because I don't let them know. And I'm talking about people in my home. And Paul would say, let them know. I don't know if you knew this, but this is a thing. There is something powerful about letting people know the affection and appreciation you feel for them. And this is so interesting because then the happiness irony to me jumps off the pages. At least it it does to me that the Philippian happiness irony hits us. In case you're wondering, why are we even talking about this in church? I think this is so ironic that the book of happiness starts by talking about happiness. Just not your happiness. That's ironic that the book of happiness starts by inviting us to be instruments of happiness for other people. Let them know it's not even about you. Wish them well. It's not even about your happiness. It's about theirs. Use your words to bring joy to others. And interestingly, we approach a book like this and we think happiness, how to be happy. Oh, me happy. And Paul says, yeah, but first, pronounce happiness on them. Express your affection and appreciation for them. You want to know how to be happy? Start with using your words to call down and call out happiness in someone else. And can you imagine what might happen in our homes and in our schools if we took a slice out of Paul's introduction? Just imagine if our kids did not ever go a day without hearing. God loves you and you bring me so much joy. You are a hot mess and you are my favorite hot mess in the world. You are mine. I'm just asking, can you imagine what would happen if we started to speak these things? Oh, and by the way, when you get to school, watch your back. Peace gonna get you. Get him, peace. Get her. I just can't imagine what would start to happen. My wife is this way more than I am, just suffocates the kids, you know, You know, with these words of of affection and affirmation, and my kids are like, (sighs) and their souls are like, (sighs) imagine what would happen if fewer people went to sleep wondering if they meant something to somebody, because we let them know. That story just came to mind. I wanted to let you know. I really enjoy you. I miss you. I haven't spoken to you for a while. Just imagine, I suspect depression might take a hit. 
All these people always just rotary calling me and telling me what they appreciate about me. I have no time to wallow. Give me time to wallow, somebody. And I'm telling you, I suspect someone in this room had to hold back tears when they heard the words, may heaven get you so good with peace this week. Because they probably can't remember the last time someone just spoke a blessing over them. And it carried power. It carried weight. Who in your life can you be a vessel to bring happiness to by simply letting them know what you've been quiet with them about? Come on, let them know. Let somebody know today. Um, oh, they know. They know. I don't have to say it. Like, all right, well, I have music on my phone. But you know, the funny thing is, I tend to enjoy it so much more when I can actually hear it. <laughs> so it is with affection. Come on, hoarding that affection like they know it's deep, 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 deep down in my heart. Like, well, turn up the music. Let them know. Let their souls dance a little bit to how you feel and what you're calling down on them from heaven. But then Paul gets specific about some things that bring him joy in the Philippians verse 4. Again, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I think a principle here is cheer for grace, cheer for grace. And um, I'm not saying that because I'm a grace graduate and a lancer, um, but that certainly didn't hurt in this matter. Paul tells his friends, hey, the thing that makes me happiest when I think and pray for you is that you have experienced the same grace that I've experienced. That we are in the depths of grace, swimming, sinking in his love together. That makes me happiest when I think about you, that you've experienced the same forgiveness that I have experienced, that you share the same hope that I share, and that you have the same eternal address that I have, that this grace is ours. The word partnership in this, in verse 5, is better translated participation or um, commonality, if you will, um, Paul is saying what thrills me most is that we share the same salvation in common. We share the same Savior. And I think this is powerful in so many ways, especially in an era of drama and discord and division um, in the church. And we talked about this in the Paradox series where we love to accent and emphasize the things that make us different. And Paul would say, cheer for grace. Cheer for grace. What does it look like to emphasize this glorious thing that you share in common, even in the midst of a variety of things that you may not? We may be nothing like each other. We may not vote the same, but I'll tell you what, Jesus chose us both. And when I think about that, I can pray with you with joy. 
all the time because I come back and cheer for the thing that we share in common, this glorious grace. Your skin may burn a little more easily in the sun than mine, not judging, just observing. But when it's all said and done, the same blood covers us both, and that's the color that matters the most, cheering for grace. In an era that loves to emphasize the differences and the things we don't agree on and the things that pull us apart, Paul would say, no, cheer for grace. It allows me to enjoy you more. It allows me to cheer for you more when I focus on that. Our theological positions may not align, but man, the cross intersected the same way for you that it did for me. Our genders may experience uh, and process things a little bit differently, but grace knows no gender. For in Jesus Christ, no male or female or Greek or Gentile, slave or free, etc., etc. And I think there'll just be so much joy in our lives and in the world if what we accented most was this grace that we need the most. But then Paul builds on this thought powerfully. Verse 6, he says, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I think the powerful principle here is wait for change. Wait for change. You don't simply cheer for grace. I love what Paul says here. Wait. For change, this perspective is so powerful. If God saved you by this grace that we share in common, then he will perfect you in his time. I love this. And this speaks to us, not so much when we accent differences, but when we start to elevate deficiencies in each other. Because in the church of of so many places, it, it tends to be the place where we are so quick to point out what somebody did wrong or what's missing or lacking in their behavior or how they haven't figured it out or how they're struggling with this issue or how they're whatever the case might be. And I love that Paul would say, wait for change. God is not done with them yet. Wait for change. This is powerful. And I love to to remind people every now and then, hey, I am a work in progress. And so are you. God is not done with me yet, so wait for it. And I think too often we look at the struggling dude and we look at his addiction and we look at her addiction and we write them off as if what they are now is what they will always be and God would say, wait for change. Wait for it. I'm not done yet. If I started something in them, I do nothing halfway. I am going to complete and perfect what I began. This, to me, is such a powerful word for us not to just believe that for each other, but to start to speak that over and into each other's lives. Hey, you are not finished yet. You're still cooking. 
This is so encouraging. You may look a hot mess right now. But God's not done with you yet. So wait for change. You may struggle to see places in which there are evidences that grace is still working in you. But if he started something in you, he is not done yet. I know you're still struggling and you're still failing and the evidence doesn't seem great. But if God began something, he will finish it. Wait for change. I think we jump into each other's stories, especially in moments of deficiency and moments of struggle. And Paul would say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Before you judge them for that space in life, realize God is still working in them. This is so meaningful for me. You've been discouraged about your husband, but if God started that work in him, you can't fix it, but God will finish it. That's what he's good at doing. Wait for change. It's coming. And I think in many ways, there would be such freedom issued and there would be such joy if we reminded each other, not rubbing each other's faces in the shame of where you are now, but reminding you, hey, wait for change. God is not done with you yet. Do you know how much happiness I will experience and you will experience if this is what we speak over each other? And especially those of you who may be sitting in this room and you're feeling unusually discouraged, either by someone in your life or maybe by what you're seeing in your own life. And you're like, I feel like I'm just in this cycle, and I feel like I'm in this cycle, and I feel like it's been five years, and I've not seen these leaps and bounds. I've not reached whatever that place is that I'm supposed to reach. God's not finished yet. If he started it, he will finish the work in Christ Jesus. And then Paul doubles down on his feelings. Come on, Paul. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel, not think, Feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. What? Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, which would be like, yeah, that sounds manly, chains and defending the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. We have this thing in common. And verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love how Paul uses his words to express his affection and to express what he is hoping and wishing for the people in his world, bent on, as it were, their happiness. I miss you guys. I love you guys. And God is changing us all. And my prayer is obviously that the Spirit of God would help us uh, to not only feel this way about each other, but to express this to each other in the coming weeks of the series. Uh, team, you guys can come on out. We're going to close with a song here in a moment. Um, one of the things we really want to do in the course of this series is just, and we will see, uh, the connection of our happiness and joy to the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to, um, man, share the gospel uh, more and more and more with the people in our world. 
um, so that there would be more people who we would say and we share this grace in common. And, and my forgiveness is now your, um, your forgiveness. And uh, a simple challenge I would issue to all of us this week is, number one, hey, let someone know. If you appreciate them or you experience some affection for them, let someone know. And I, listen, I'm not even going to sit around and talk about, well, they told me to come tell you. So, hey, girl, before we graduate, <laughs> that's going to be on you. Uh, but work it out, man. Work it out. Um, but, no, express. Um, and I would say especially starting in our homes. I have so much growing to do in that regard. But I would encourage you to share the gospel with someone this week. And here's the simple challenge. I would simply ask you to share with them the fact that you are praying that they would experience the fullness of joy in Jesus. And that's it. I want you to know I am praying that you would experience the joy of Jesus. That's it. That's my sharing of his gospel with you. And we're going to see different ways in which we can share uh, the grace of Jesus with each other by speaking words in the coming weeks. But I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to read um, uh, the next three verses just as a prayer and a blessing and what I am believing that heaven is going to stalk us with. Um, as Paul shares with the Philippians what it is that he is praying for them. And I want to pray this especially over you college students as you head home for the summer and especially, especially you students who may be graduating in this coming week. We love you guys. Um, we will miss you guys. Uh, we will long to have you back. Uh, for those of you who are heading out, we love you. And we cannot wait to see what Jesus is going to do in your life. And just know, no matter what you're walking through or struggling with, he's not done with you yet. Greater are the things to come than the things you're experiencing now. So trust him, walk with him, stay with him. But let me read um, these words. And this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and the depth of insight, as it refers to Jesus so that you may be able to discern what's next and what's best and that you may be pure and blameless in the way you live for the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, so you may be filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you receive it, say amen. Amen. Amen.